0: Hey everyone, this is the Football Grump. Um, We had a lot to cover in this episode in the wake of the Eli Apple trade, so this is a hefty listen. There's a lot of good stuff in here that we felt needed to be said at this time, and so we ultimately decided not to break this episode up. So if you want to skip around to a particular conversation, just a heads up, we open the episode recapping all aspects of the loss to Atlanta. At roughly 17 minutes in, we talk a lot about um, some overall coaching, and we move into the apple trade around 29 minute mark and followed up with a sort of who's next conversation around 34 minutes in and we ended the episode with a discussion about management and ownership and that part starts at about 50 minutes so thanks for listening go giants you're listening to the just giants podcast with Grump and the cranky fan be sure to subscribe on iTunes and
1: SoundCloud today
0: This message is being broadcast over the Emergency Alert System at the request of the New York Football Giants. This is not a test. Please remain calm and stand by for the following important information. Welcome back to Why the Hell Are We Even Doing This Anymore with Grump and the Cranky Fan the best damn podcast for a football team. I'm your host The Football Grump and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan.
1: Grump you have a very broad definition of what a football team constitutes at this point.
0: Well, they there's a ball involved. There is some kicking. Uh that's that's that kind kick- of the bar. This yeah, year. that
1: kicking that kicking involves over 55 yards by the other team.
0: Yeah. Um be sure to follow us on Twitter uh, and follow the show on iTunes and SoundCloud. Uh, we appreciate all the, the nice comments that we've gotten and the five-star ratings that we've gotten from you guys. Please keep them coming. Uh, they they do mean very much to us.
1: Sure. Thank you. We appreciate it.
0: Um, You know, a lot of big news. We have a lot of stuff to cover. Um, it broke this morning that Eli Apple was traded to the New Orleans Saints for a fourth and seventh round pick. The fourth is next year's draft. The seventh, I believe, is 2020. We'll get into all of that. And it seems that this team is in full burning down the house mode. Uh, so we're going to have a lot to discuss. Uh, but first, we're we are going to talk about the game since we traveled to Atlanta to check it all out.
1: <clears throat> yeah, Grump and I continue our tradition of going at great length and great expense to watch this team lose. And... Uh, last night was no different uh, we got back home this early afternoon we were going to record from the hotel room but we were both pretty tired and pretty annoyed and we just said you know we'll just do it tomorrow so good thing we did it tonight to cover the breaking news but uh, another good trip though grump we had a good time
0: that stadium is pretty awesome uh, I'm I'm really excited that the Super Bowl is there it, it it's really cool the way you know obviously for well we were there the roof was open but it, it it kind of feels like, we were saying, it kind of feels like a basketball game. Uh, it's just, you know, it's like this half dome. It's really dark in there. Uh, I guess like the music selection also kind of plays into it. Um, and the, the scoreboard is the coolest thing, the way it's like on the inside.
1: Yeah, I'm going to rate this, if all the stadiums I've been to, my second favorite one. I'm re- Minnesota remains my favorite. Um, architecturally... Mercedes-Benz Stadium is the nicest one. It's just an amazing work of art how they built it. How that roof opens up and just kind of like uncoils like a flower. It's it's amazing. Um, It is very big. It's a little sparse on the inside. Um, A lot of echo. Yeah. Uh, I think Two Chains did the halftime show. And (laughs) thank you. That's what it sounded like. So it has that little airy. Feel to it um crowd was you know a lot of giant fans a lot of, a lot of giant fans showed up a lot of empty seats actually Yeah, a lot of empty seats
0: done. is what i was going to say
1: yeah i didn't have and granted we're talking about a two and five team and a one and five team not the most exciting matchup uh, a lot of giant fans there as usual they, they show up um we'll get into the giant fans that we've met and uh <laughs> you know we're not talking road scholars are on this trip around us but um it's the way it goes so yeah. a lot of annoyed a lot of annoyed giant fans with with the fate of everything that's happening sure and you know what, what went down but uh definitely ever get a chance to get down there check out that stadium whether it's for a you know a college or a pro game or a final four or something
0: yeah there's there's other cool stuff to do in town not far from there is the college football hall of fame which i did not do but you have done in the past it looked really cool we just didn't really have the time uh but there's stuff to do other than whatever game you go to see so i encourage it as a you know if you have you know some days off from work to hang on head on down there i i found it more interesting than charlotte
1: <laughs> oh yeah i mean you know it's uh anybody who's been to atlanta before knows like they've really rebuilt that area from you know back in the day i started going there in the 90s you know where the underground was no one goes there anymore it's more around the CNN center by the new college football hall of fame centennial Olympic park into CNN center and right into the dome. So it's a, it's a cool happening place to be, you know, Monday nights are strange because you know, obviously people are working. So you don't have the full blown tailgates like you would on a Sunday or a Sunday night. But, um, you can definitely sense a, a sense that the Falcons are, uh, you know, pretty popular down there. I mean, it's always going to be a college football town, you know, a Mecca for, you know, across like the crossroads for the entire south down there, but uh you know, there's definitely local identity to the Falcons and uh, they do a good job in the dome kind of capturing that
0: yeah and as far as the game that was played there uh the Giants lost twenty three twenty a lower scoring game than I think we both thought, but it kind of looked I think a little bit the way we thought a lot of a lot of offensive chunks being given up by both teams um oh
1: a lot of uh, a lot of action from 20 to 20 and then we saw some uh you know some meltdowns in the red zone particularly by the giants but uh you're right a lot of uh, a lot of big uh, chunky plays you know big big yardage in the passing game by both sides and you know anybody who watched the game you know the narrative now and the uh the scapegoat on this team is clearly on Eli Manning's shoulders and He honestly when he had the chance to throw did not look that bad. I mean if you go back and watch the game again You know he hit guys in stride. He hit open guys Um, This fan base now is gonna start nitpicking because in the red zone Well, this guy was a step opener. Why didn't he hit that that guy or something? I think now you're now we're starting to get a little, you know, we're looking for reasons to pick now
0: Let's start with this we're not In any way, Eli apologists on this show. Um, You know, you and I might have differing opinions on how we view Eli Manning, but neither one of us is apologizing for his play this year. However, there's not a whole lot you can pick on from last night. I've seen about five different screenshots and GIFs of guys who might be barely open um, or, uh, quite frankly, not open that people think is open. And other screen caps where Eli is already sacked at that point, and they're circling a guy who's kind of open. You know, at this point, we're nitpicking and trying to elevate Eli Manning to a point he was never really at in his career. I mean, there was always a play that we could point to, dating back to 2007, 2008, the you know the Eli heydays of, you know, there's why didn't he throw it there? You know, there was always the stupid throw too. Where the unquestioning how in the world did he make that throw. He threw it right to the defender. What was he thinking? Um, Well,
1: some of these these plays, especially when you get in the red zone, that's the play. Yeah. It's a quick timing thing. It's two steps, quick throw over the middle. It's the hot guy, you hit it. And yeah, there might be other guys open, and we see it all the time. Why isn't this guy open? First of all, is he going to contort his body to throw across the field for something because you see a guy open? you know Eli Manning at 24 is not making that pass Joe uh John Elway is not making that pass with the cannon that he had so
0: you know you might be looking at an Aaron Rodgers who might make that throw maybe and at no point did we ever think that Eli Manning and Aaron Rodgers were on the same level right right so to so um, to nitpick him for not being at that level now is silly you know we watched after the game we got back to the hotel and we threw on NFL Network for some analysis on the game and you know there was some analysis on the game and a lot of high praise for the way the Falcons' offense ran things. You know, there was a lot of praise thrown to Tevin Coleman and Matt Ryan. So here's some comparison for you. Matt Ryan went 31 of 39 for 379 yards and a touchdown. Eli Manning went 27 of 38 for 399 yards and one touchdown. Pretty comparable. Tevin Coleman had 11 rushes for 50 yards and 82 total yards from scrimmage. Saquon Barkley had 43 yards from rushing on 14 carries 94 yards from scrimmage
1: and the game was basically even from an offensive
0: standpoint it was uh, even from an offensive standpoint i mean this was there are plenty of times this year that you can throw some blame at eli manning and him being the reason the offense has looked bad and those are justified i don't think last night was one of the nights that it would be justified you can nitpick a play or a guy who's open by about three feet that he missed or didn't throw to. But you're elevating Eli to levels he was never really at.
1: Well, you're also unrealistic because you look at every single game film of every game played last week from, you know, the uh, Pat Mahomes all the way down to the Ben's Blake Bortles, and you can see the exact same thing happen at least once a game. This guy was open when you throw to him. Yeah. So, come on.
0: Yeah, as far as the play calling goes, that's a whole other story.
1: Yeah, I mean, if we're going to talk, yeah, if we're going to talk Eli being the blame. Yeah, I think he's a very distant third. Um, we're going to get into again how atrocious this offensive line is, but the big culprit, the big fart of the night, I think both of us will both pull our pants down and really blow some ass. <laughs> this coaching staff, the the decision making, the play calling really some of the worst i've ever seen and i had to experience ray hanley ron zook you name it for terrible coaching i cannot believe what i was seeing last night um where do you even want to start grump
0: well i'll say by the play calling was not as bad in my opinion as the decision making and you know obviously the differences there are the head coaching decisions on you know going for it instead of kicking a field goal on fourth and 1 when they hadn't really been able to generate 1 yard on this offense since 2008 um you know going for two on your first touchdown as opposed to holding back on that though that's to me that's the difference between you know decision making and play calling play calling I thought was not too bad I thought um you know there there's Still, this lingering sense of lack of creativity. Uh, but you know, traveling back to week one to where we are now, I, I saw more of a commitment to the run, even though it wasn't working, um, which opened up big plays down the field that were actually happening. Probably for the first time this year, we saw consistent throws down the field. We started seeing a little bit with Houston, more so with Carolina, and then this is this looked like, like highlights of this game looked like. What I expected of this offense, kind of.
1: Let's keep in mind, though, we have extremely, extremely yes. banged-up secondary by yes. uh, Atlanta,
0: and uh, also I keep would... in mind, I'm, I'm. This is a low bar, so. Yeah.
1: I want to criticize the play calling, not necessarily the decisions. I think, especially in the red zone, I think what we're trying to do in the red zone is a, you know, we're trying to thread a needle with some of these plays where we didn't try until those last two fourth quarter things, actually running between the tackles on third and goal, second and goal. You know, we do have Saquon Barkley. He is, you know, going to be one of the best running backs in this league. You know, as bad as this offensive line is, it seems like, you know, the closest, easiest way to get to two things is a straight line and not even attempting to go through the tackles until the end of the game. Instead, trying very complicated... Um, exotic, I think it was kind of way too exotic type of play calling down there. You're looking at things where you're asking Eli and the receivers to do way much with a limited amount of space and an offensive line that can't sustain for more than a couple of seconds. So I think red zone offense may be better if it is simplified and we take a couple of, you know, on first down if it's first and three. Why aren't we trying to run the ball up the middle? Simple. We don't even try it.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Um I actually liked the third and 2, the third and goal from the two play calling of the it was like a stretch play to Barkley. It didn't work. It got 1 yard. I thought he was really going to power it in there and get it just the way it looked. Um but the following fourth and 1 play I, I don't like the play call, the bootleg. I I don't like it. Um you know, maybe Odell was open, maybe he wasn't. I, I didn't I, I, don't.
1: I, I didn't necessarily have a problem with the decision because I am pretty conservative in my decision making. I don't believe in the Here's your chance to knock them out. To me, it's like if you have the option, you know, go for it on fourth down or punt it away. I'm usually the punt it away guy. I'm usually the get the three points as opposed
0: to go for it.
1: But this case, I felt in this time of the game on the one-yard line, I had no problem going for it.
0: I didn't like the play call.
1: Um, I didn't like the play call. That's the difference. Um, I'd rather have them pinned at the one if it doesn't work. It was still early enough in the game where you could take a little bit of a a bit of a risk Um, the play call itself just sucked
0: the uh, the two-point conversion let's get into that I I understand that there might be some math behind it and that's cool here's my take on that math be damned let's just say let's say it's ignore how much time is left for instance just say it's the fourth quarter and you know they're in the same scoring situation where they're eventually going to need a two-point conversion um, I am for it regardless of which touchdown it is well I guess if it's a second touchdown you have a choice but I'm for it on that first touchdown if you have the defense on their heels if there is momentum behind your offense and they're just everything they're doing, it's a big play that just breaks their back or it comes off of an interception and then you, know, you follow it up with a big play and then you score a touchdown and they're just reeling I'm for it You've got them on their heels. They're discombobulated. They don't know what's going on. You know, the other thing is get up to the line and call it. This is the situation in which this happened. There was a review on whether or not Barkley scored the touchdown. There's all this dead time, time for the players to calm down, catch their breath, get their focus. Then you go out there and then you're in the huddle and you're still calling. You don't even have the play call yet. Forget it. Just forget it at that point because you've lost your competitive advantage of momentum. You know, at no point in this game was was the Giants offense just able to get two yards at a moment's notice. You know, there was some big plays. There was a couple times that they, they would get the first down when they needed it. But there was also a lot of tackles for a loss. There were some sacks that were pretty bad. At no point was it just this steamrolling offense where I'd feel confident just walking up to the line and, and getting two yards. I, I think momentum was a huge factor in their scoring drives. And it's not their fault that the momentum was taken out of that because of the review on the touchdown, but that's the hand they were dealt. And I, I, I disagree with doing it in that circumstance. First touchdown, second touchdown, I'm not sure I have a strong opinion. I know you do.
1: I, I I definitely do. I mean, to me, the riskier play is something you shouldn't do unless you have to do. Uh, You know, you need to get 15 points... Why put all the pressure on? If it doesn't work, you have to chase even further down the line. You need the seven, then you need the eight. To me, it's a no-brainer. Um, I get your point about the momentum. Um, now we're going to start kind of treading onto my bigger bugaboo about this about the coaching. Why, you know, if you you don't have a play called to do this, you know, even if there is no momentum and it gets stopped, this team consistently has, you know, the play clock running down three, two, one. It's so slow and there's no way to get a defense on its heels. You know, this coach and this coaching staff should have in their back pocket, in this scenario, this is the play we're gonna
0: run. I get it. out
1: there and run it.
0: I mean I've been saying this for years. I've been saying yeah. this for Ben McAdoo and Tom Coughlin. For these situations you have A, B, and C and you're ready to go, you just say, we're running play A, hey, go, run to the line. Because it's such an advantage, be- let's just say it's not even two-point conversion, it's fourth and one. You call that in there, the defense thinks they're getting off the field, then they have to run out there, you got it all lined up, maybe you can even draw them off sides, you don't even have to run the damn play. You know Or maybe you just get them to waste the time out as they're trying to shuttle t- their substitutions back and forth. You call it, you get everybody to the line. I understand there's a smidgen tiny little bit of leeway given to a brand new offense for everybody where you know Eli doesn't know this offense like the same way he knew Kevin Gilbride's offense It's week but seven. but it's still it's, it's still seven. inexcusable i i exactly that's it's i'm just seven. i want to eliminate seven. all doubt i have thought about that for anybody listening i have thought about the fact that this is a brand new offense for this team it's still inexcusable it's a b or c it's three plays if we're ever in this situation i'm calling play a b or c have everybody ready. Call it. Get to the line.
1: We can segue this right into my coaching rant because I can't hold it in anymore because I'm getting annoyed it. as we even talk about this. You know, in throughout Eli Manning's career, he has been at his best, you know, two-minute warnings, a no huddle, a little faster pace. I mean, we're never going to be Oregon. We're never going to be a Chip Kelly team, but he has been the most effective throughout his career when... You know it's not even so much not even thinking. it's just going out there and playing and executing and running the offense and go and go and go. We've seen it in playoff runs, we've seen it in fourth quarters of games. This offense and the way the play calling and the way they're doing it, it's so slow and so stagnant that you know every you know you just look at the play clock on every play, three, two, one. you're you're never getting this defense on their heels. You're giving them all the time in the world to adjust. They could start, you know, jumping the snap count because they know it's getting down to like two or one. And this is coming back just to coaching. This is the philosophy, and this is the way they want to run this offense. And, you know, there's nothing right now, you know, if you're just watching some of the basic play calling that Atlanta had, you know, some of the, um, you know, those little bootlegs off the of play action, just little things, everything doesn't, I mean, doesn't have to be a reverse or a triple, lateral or something but things that keep the offense of the defense off balance this offense does nothing to keep the defense off the balance and i'm blaming this coaching staff i've hated mike shuler 20 years ago i thought he sucked not offensive coordinator i said it in the spring i said it last week you know it's time to start looking at this you know coaching staff and saying what are we doing you know forget decision making just play calling itself it's it's bad enough that this you know line can't block. It's bad enough that Eli isn't what he used to be. It's bad enough we have really you we know, don't commit to the running game. You know, give us a chance to be successful. You know, give us some sort of advantage. The way this how stagnant this offense is, we're not giving ourselves any chance for that.
0: I think the only thing I can say. I, I think there is a legitimate fear and it's it's not rational, but I think there is a commitment to getting away from the ben McAdoo three quick calls three and out scenario uh I think that is something that they you know I'm it's something even... it's something we complained about last year and and it there is merit to the argument of having these these real quick go out there one look reads you know five yard slants, and you know. That's it. You went three and out, and only 30 seconds of game time went by. Now the defense is back out on the field because you have to punt. That being said...
1: I'm not even talking about that. That's
0: But I'm just saying... I'm, look, look, I'm just saying. <laughs> I agree with you. In fact, I even said it last night. The two-minute offense is Eli's best attribute. I think randomly, throughout the game, first quarter, second or third drive, you let him go out there and just read what he sees and call plays at the line of scrimmage. Get them all jumbled up, but don't make it situational. Once he's in the two-minute thing, you know, you're you're hamstringing what his best ability is. I I understand that there might be a reluctance to get into one of the bad habits of Ben McAdoo, but it's it's a very big strength of Eli's. It's a big strength of this team, and you see it every time he does it. He he just shreds opposing defenses. Um.
1: I'm also not saying play that way for 60 minutes. Exactly. Just, That's what I'm not, saying.
0: Yeah. I, I understand if there is a, a fear about that, but to just throw in a random drive where he gets to do that, I, I think not only does it work just because it's one of his strengths, I think it works because they're not expecting it. It's not part of your every game plan. You know, To every time you go out there, you're just running to the line real quick and throwing the ball, five-yard screens, et uh, it, it It's just – it gets them on their heels it gets them disoriented you start you, i mean we see it it works though so the one drive he had i i don't think there was a single incomplete pass and and it's when we finally saw Odell Beckham get involved a lot more he he's just it just works better it it works into his his assets and it should be a part of this offense it shouldn't be the entire offense it should just be part of it and it's not there until the game decides it's time to be there when the other team is ready for it. Um, yeah, It's it's a problem. But to, to the credit of, well, I guess not to the credit, but not to unfairly throw just this coaching staff under the bus, it, it, Ben McAdoo did not allow for any of that. It didn't seem. Uh, and I don't really remember Kevin Gilbride letting him just take the reins on that other than situationally
1: yeah again I'm not saying that's what we do every single drive and we run a thousand miles an hour every single drive because you're right you do run the risk of the defense being out there too long but you know there has to be some middle ground between Oregon and this you know iceberg just going along in the ocean and that's (laughs) what this offense feels like right now it just feels like this you know plodding along you know Gets a line of scrimmage, Eli looks around, we look at this, the, the play clock, it's at five again, it's at three, it's at one, and then, you know, the defense, they know they have to hike it right now, and they're getting a jump, and I, I don't know. Um, I, I'm, we're seven games in now to the first year of the Shermer experience, and I don't think it's too early to start getting initial opinions on how he's done as a head coach.
0: And no, that's not too uh, early.
1: Yeah, and I think my initial take is very lackluster, very poor. I don't see right now we had this conversation on the MARTA going back to the airport this morning about, you know, how many coaches are there truly in the NFL that are guys you trust to come in and change an organization, change the culture, change the philosophy, change the results. And Pat Shermer does not seem, in the initial phase of this administration, to be that guy. You know, I think we're seeing a lot of the same, you know, again, a lot of that has to do with the talent on the field. I get that, but I'm not getting that sense inside that this is a coaching, a head coach and a coaching staff that's around for the long term or going to make any major changes to this, you know, Black cloud that's been over this franchise for the last, you know, several years.
0: I'm discouraged, but it's just my initial opinion. Week seven is too early to be saying that people need to get fired. It's I not too early that. for an. No, I didn't say you did. <laughs> I said it's not too early for an initial opinion, but it is too early for calling for people to get fired. Um. That being said, you know. The one thing I can say is I've seen a slow, from Pat Shermer at least, a a change in philosophy and what he was doing. This offense doesn't look like the way it did week one. Um, There have been slow, you know, adjustments being made. And some of them, I believe, are hamstrings of what the talent is. I mean, what we see with, you know, cutting Eric Flowers. You know, I don't think that that's... Pat Shermer's move to make I think it's one of those things where he when he benched him that was a conversation with Dave Gettleman hey this didn't work you know we saw the same thing with the benching of Patrick Omame which he's injured but it was reported earlier that that was happening anyway you know these are the slow adjustments being made to find the best situation for this team um it's slow going and it's it's the one bright spot i think i can say about it so far
1: okay but you know i also think a lot of you know what he's calling things that are aggressive move i think are reckless and i think that it's almost like an act of defiance like you can see it like in the press conferences and is you know explain that and he's just like i would do the same thing again this is you know and it's just kind of like a you don't have the credibility you don't have the track record to have that type of arrogance in in your decision-making and you know I get it a lot of its perception if the fan base is against you that doesn't really mean that whole much you know in the grand scheme of things at first but I don't know there's just something about the guy and the way he's going about his business and how he's handling himself that I don't like now again you flip this roster and all of a sudden you have a much better offensive line and a new quarterback and you know, our secondary problems are taken care of, and maybe it works. All I know is, again, I go from what I see and what the record is. And the record is is a guy who failed in a bad team once, had a halfway decent offense last year in Minnesota, and is pretty unimpressive in the start right now. So I think I feel I a little justified in being nervous about the future with this coaching staff.
0: Sure, nervous. I wasn't really super stoked about it when in... – when uh, the news was announced, anyway, but
1: mm-hmm. I'm separating him from Gettleman in this. I think, yeah, you know, it, the jury is 150 percent out on the moves he's made. You can't make, you can't even make a definitive thing about the draft. I mean, these guys look pretty decent so far, but we're seven games in. We don't yeah. know the mm-hmm. free agent moves again. Free agency, we've said this in the off season. That's to kind of fill holes. It's not to build your roster, right? And you know, these free agent moves so far don't seem to really have been working out.
0: Well, I but, mean, it's hard to fill a ship full of holes. Yeah. You can plug two or three holes in the in the hull of a ship, but if the whole hull is destroyed, you know, you can't rebuild it. it it's it's yeah. not gonna work. There's not enough money to do that.
1: Yeah. But you know, again, it just it's frustrating where I don't feel at this moment. Also, this coaching staff is helping a bad situation, and I think that might be kind of what I've been trying to get at is that. Some coaching staffs maximize a bad situation, and I don't think this one is doing that at all. And that's a little more frustrating to me than, you know, I can I can very easily write off 2018 as this is a shit roster that they've started the purge last offseason and last training camp, and it's going to continue. But, you know, it's just garbage. I don't think this coaching staff is doing much to help right now. And some of the decision-making from, you know, going for two to even that last onside kick attempt which is like a pooch kick it's almost like are we actively trying to lose these games you know for the grand scheme i don't i don't think so but definitely when you're annoyed and you feel like everything you're doing is really stupid those thoughts do wander into your mind
0: well going along that theme as uh, as far as the purges eli apple was traded this morning To New Orleans for a 2019 fourth-round pick and a 2027th-round pick. Um, Thoughts? We haven't talked about this, so.
1: Yeah, we have not talked about this together. Um, My first thought is this team potentially could get a lot worse before it starts looking better. Uh, We had discussed this morning... You know, on our ride back to the airport of you know, who are potential salary cap cuts. And I brought up Janoris Jenkins, and we were going through, well, is Sam Beal going to be the guy who replaces him? The secondary is going to be a lot worse. Eli Apple is now out of the mix. And if Janoris Jenkins, they do decide to purge you know, that big salary or at least demand you know, a, uh, a, a contract reworking for something, this could be a really scary secondary next year. So that was my kind of initial thought. We do need to acquire as many draft picks as we can. This is a a roster that needs, we said, help all over the place. We need assets. We need cheap assets. You know, you go to the free agent market and you try to get this guy, this guy, this guy. It's going to cost a lot of money. We don't have a lot of money. We need draft picks. We need cheap rookie contracts to fill these spots. We're hoping that this coaching staff can develop players. You know, that's one of the reasons why we got guys, and we heard teaching all offseason. Well, you're going to get more young guys to do that. Um, my second thought was that they are trying to purge this roster of cancers. And while it seems like Eli Apple's done a little better job this year of not you know, causing trouble or anything or having a bad attitude, I think the opportunity was to get rid of him and there might be other people on this roster. It's going to happen. So... No more if we're 2-9 and nine or 1-10, him acting up or something. That's not going to be our problem anymore. That's New Orleans' problem.
0: Well, yeah, I, th- I think one of the things we-, we talked about, maybe not enough, was that Eli Apple has been... Actually, I-, I asked this at the game last night while we were watching, who was the bigger surprise, Eli Apple or Aldrich Roses? That's
1: yes, what you did.
0: Yeah, so that's that's pretty interesting. I didn't think of that till just now. But we haven't talked enough about how different Eli Apple. He's been solid this year, quiet, reliable in coverage. You know, busted play here or there, but nothing nothing outlandish. Um, he's played fourth, better.
1: Than, he's played better than Jenkins has this
0: year. Uh, no, but I'm
1: pretty I'm pretty down on Janoris Jenkins this year. Yeah, yeah, that
0: that's a little. You're a little heated. That's okay. No,
1: that the numbers back it up.
0: Nah, you're heated. That's all right
1: was the number i gave you yesterday it
0: doesn't matter you're heated they're not they're not drawing the same coverage at all um and they're not getting the same amount of safety help so it's it's,
1: they're also not not giving the same amount of effort
0: maybe he has not been no way i'm not buying that i don't even care i'm not even having this argument with you (laughs) uh but but eli apple did lay a hellacious hit on cam newton and forced a fumble in Carolina, which I, when I found out who hit it, I thought that was Landon Collins when we saw it live because we're there. we don't really have the best vantage point. Uh, I was very surprised that that was Eli Apple and he's on his rookie contract, so he's a perfect tradable asset where the receiving team, New Orleans is not inheriting some massive contract they're they're inheriting you know his contract deadline where you can say his career has been so up and down he's not in a position to command a big contract right away. So he's a perfect tradable asset. Um And there had there was some mutterings that he was on the trading block earlier. You know, I'm not sure that he was a cancer this year. We don't we don't have the luxury of knowing what goes on in the locker room. Uh so just because we haven't heard anything doesn't mean we haven't we that that it hasn't happened. I am glad that Annie Apple is gone.
1: Oh my god, I actually had quite a response there on Twitter typed up and I deleted it because I probably would be catching hell from the PC police, and I'll leave yeah. it at that. Yeah. Um,
0: um, yeah, I, I don't care about any Apple. And I, in, in general, as a rule of thumb, think that for professional athletes, parents should stay out of it. Just, you're not, It just stay out of it. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help the franchise, the fans, or your, 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 your child. Just, yes. Stay as far out of it. Be there for them privately. Stay out of it publicly. And I think that's all we really need to say about Annie Apple. But I'm, I'm glad that – I, I, we have not yet discussed Annie Apple on this show, and I'm glad that this is the only conversation we have to have about her. Yeah. Um, okay, as far as next year goes, or who's next, this is in order from highest to lowest next year's biggest cap hits. Okay. And we can discuss them maybe individually if you want, but these are the ones over $3 million next year. Just just their cap hits, not not counting what their dead cap hit is. So we'll keep it simple for now since we're just midseason. But the number one is Eli Manning. I, I mean, I think at this point you and I both think that he's retiring at the end of the year.
1: I think it's safe to say because quite frankly, what does he have to play for next year? This yeah. team is not making the playoffs next year. Like I just alluded to. This team could be worse next year than it is this year, mm-hmm. so what's the point why why risk major injury you know that could hurt him beyond his football years? It doesn't make any sense. he's proven all he's proven he's going to be a hall of famer, he is going to be on the ring of honor. he has two Super Bowl rings. None of that is going to be tarnished by him walking away right now, and yeah. I think it'd probably be in everybody's best interest if he did
0: right so that that's off the books right there
1: but having said that they are not making a move this year they are forget all these ridiculous trades don't
0: don't even engage this it's so silly and i i am proud that most of the giants fan base is aware right away that there's a no trade clause and eli would have to waive that in order for it to happen it's not happening
1: right and none of these teams that are being discussed jacksonville specifically they are not picking up 20 something million dollars in cap space. For a guy that everybody in this league thinks is shot.
0: Yeah. Be-
1: because his former coach now is upstairs in the owner's box watching every game. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous.
0: Silly. It's silly. Yeah.
1: Just because you know you can put two and two together because you have familiarity, just so your are one little piece of the football world. Don't think that's what's happening. It's not.
0: It's not happening. If it happens, then I will eat a sock. Um, well
1: – it fits into my theory that there's always a worse GM than what you have. This yeah. would be pretty significantly bad.
0: Yeah. Uh, the number two biggest cap hit next year is Odell Beckham. He's not – it's not happening. He's not going anywhere. Not for the, the next two or three years.
1: The, the negative of him, how much we would owe and anything would be so devastating to the cap next year. He, he'll be with us. Yes.
0: Uh, after him is Olivier Vernon. Huh
1: You know <laughs> – as much as I like him and you know what a difference maker he is to me, if if it has to be, it has to be that they they either cut him or ask him for a a, uh, a contract renewal. I don't think there's any guys on this roster that are sacred cows in the contract talks we're talking about right now. I mean, obviously a guy like Saquon Barkley is untouchable for a hundred different reasons, but if we're getting into this category. I don't think any of these guys are. Untouchable, guaranteed staying on this roster, we have to have them.
0: Right. So, I mean, I think this year of his contract was a going to be up for discussion no matter if this team went to the Super Bowl in 2016 or not. I mean, just the way it was structured. It's due to make $19.5 million next year, um, it's too much. And why I think he could be the next one to go um, is simply because I think they have a decent – uh, you know, I think Lorenzo Carter has come along a little bit more than they thought he would. I think Kareem Martin has played a little bit better than most people thought. I think I think they feel like he's a little bit more replaceable. I mean, one of the problems with, you know, getting rid of Eli Apple is we have no idea who's going to play corner next week on Sunday. I yeah. don't know. Sam Beal just got ligament surgery. I'm not even sure what he's going to be next year. You know, yeah. The, he was not sam Beal was not in discussions to be a top 5 corner in last year's draft you know before, prior to him committing so even even if he wasn't getting surgery i'd have questions about how well he was going to perform so olivier vernon makes a lot of sense as the next guy to be traded you know i understand again that we're talking about he's take the whole cap is coming with him when he gets traded but He's definitely somebody either on the trade or cut block.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's 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 a problem for 2019, but in 2020 it goes away. Mm-hmm. You're picking up an extra year, so all these moves we're thinking about are are in the long term interest of roster rebuild. You know, if we if you're a Giant fan and you're listening to this show, you are not thinking about this team week to week to week to week. You are, you know, you're pretty committed to the, your long term fandom and the long term. Success of this team, so that's why we're saying these things
0: yeah uh, the next highest is Nate solder
1: well i I think with solder I think it's a little more tricky because you know it's more important to, re- to be, have someone who can replace him as your left tackle you know I, I think you know if you don't have the greatest pass rush without having Olivier Vernon that's one thing, but you're talking about a position of you know saving the the quarterback on this team, or helping out Saquon Barkley. So I, I think if they have a plan of how they're going to replace him, whether it's you know a stud in the draft or getting another guy, you know maybe a lower value, I think he's probably safe for now.
0: I'm going to say the only way Nate Solder leaves next year is if they make other moves, have the free agent money, and get a better left tackle and move him to right, and that is a 0.5% chance of happening. Mm. Uh like you said it's just too important. I wouldn't even try. If they had got if they used the first overall pick in the draft on the best left tackle, they would still be silly to get rid of Nate Solder. It yeah. just it's it's too important to you, you know what you'd be spending on a better left tackle would be the same amount of money anyway. It's just it's too important he's not going anywhere. Not hey, also- not next year anyway.
1: And keep this in mind too when you talk about Nate Solder and as you're watching and he you know, he whiffs on a block or something. He is paid what he is paid, not because that's what he you know, how good he is. It's because the market for left tackles is very high. You're overpaying for the production you are getting. So, you know stop looking at it as what it, what's this cap hit? Seventeen million? Fourteen million?
0: Next year it's seventeen.
1: 17 you we're not paying for an all pro left tackle at 17 you're paying for that's what it costs to get him so keep that in in your you know annoyance of solar because you know once eli is gone he might become the next scapegoat on this team
0: janoris jenkins comes after him at 14.75 million next year
1: i see zero chance he's back at that number I see a slight chance he comes back at even a reduced number.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you there.
1: Even what would happen today, I think, you know, again, he is on my shit list. He's been on my shit list for six years. He's been on my shit list this year because of lack of effort, something we saw last year at the end of the season.
0: I disagree. Going is, I, going I, is I don't going see up. the lack of effort that you see. It's not great him. effort. It's, it's in no way the same category as last year.
1: I saw a complete lack of effort in the Philly game.
0: From and him or the whole team.
1: Well, you know you're supposed from to
0: him. Be a no, I mean seriously. From,
1: from him as well.
0: Yeah, I get you. Last and, year there was a there was a whole game thrown by him individually. You could pick out the Philly game where they're getting thrashed. Fine, I'm with you, but I'm not going to compare it to what he did last year. Nevertheless, that's not an excuse. Uh... He's just my big issue with getting rid of him is now you have no corners. Yeah. I I, and I I don't even know how you rebuild from that. I mean it corners with his skill set don't grow on trees. You know, you draft a guy like Eli Apple because he has the height and the speed and you know, the closing speed and he's a good tackler and you hope that he turns out to be Janoris Jenkins. I'm not trying to puff him up. I'm just saying a guy of his caliber. There are other guys better, you know, et cetera, who are not a headache. But 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 now to have to go from, you know, all right, well we traded our guy we thought could grow into him to also the guy who we know is good. Now you're really putting your team back and I I don't know how you rebuild from that. They 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 don't come out in every draft. You know, they're not free agents every year. I don't know how to recover from that, but Given his effort and his play and the number that he's at and just the nature of him, I don't think he's the kind of guy who wants to take a – I mean, nobody wants to take a pay cut, but you know what I'm saying. He's not a team-first, I'll-sacrifice-the-money I'll guy. It's hard for me to imagine him on this team next year. Um, Alec Ogletree is due a lot of money next year and has been underperforming at $11, $11 million. It's a little bit egregious that we took the trade and took his contract when we did it. I don't think he's going anywhere. Uh, but he's probably going to be asked for a pay a pay cut, right?
1: I would agree. I think they, again, you can't purge the entire roster of these guys unless you're going to have a CFL team. So they're going to have to make some decisions of you know what, which uh, which shoot smells the least worse. Yeah, and you know he might be one of those ones that hangs around because again, we're now getting down from instead of like the 19 and 20 million dollar hit, what's he about 11 million next year?
0: He's, yeah, he's like 11 and a half or so.
1: I think yeah you.
0: You kind of roll with that one.
1: You kind of have to, yeah, you deal with it, and then you reassess after 2019 what you do
0: with him. Uh, Damon Harrison, I think he might go.
1: I think he might get traded.
0: Yeah, Uh, I think think his, his contract is a little bit, I think it's fair for what he's able to do. I think the drafting in recent years, what this defensive line is without him is still functional. I think they love what they have in B.J. Hill. I think they love what they have in Dalvin Tomlinson. I think they can work around not having him without having his massive contract. I think he might get traded.
1: I think so too. I think again, we saw it today that you know they're trying to acquire assets. I mean, you can laugh all you want at the decision-making process of Dallas um I'm sorry, of uh, of the Raiders. Yeah. But you know, something at the end of the day, now they have three first-round picks. Yep. They, they may screw it up, yep. but you know, they are doing something that you know The Giants really should be considering and I always have this theory in every sport. There is a GM out there That's worse than yours. You think yours is bad. You think yours has made bad signings and you know We are watching right now a World Series with the Red Sox and the Dodgers that have had two of them these two teams probably five of the worst contracts in baseball history and they've been able to get rid of all five of them why? There's a worse GM out there that will take your garbage. And I think that applies to, you know, the Giants situation. We're not stuck with these guys forever because they're bad deals. Someone will take them.
0: Yeah. After him, it's actually not looking so bad. Barkley has a pretty huge hit, but, you know, he's not going anywhere. Patrick Omame, he's got an out in his contract basically next year. The savings actually justify it. Uh, and he's at this point he's being benched, uh you know. And then after him you're looking at minimal cap savings, you know, Rhett Ellison, who I think is a role player, perhaps getting a little too much money, but I, I mean he might he might end up getting cut just because they're able to find somebody who can do what he does for cheaper, but maybe not and, and I don't think it's a huge deal. I think Kareem Martin is playing really well. I don't think they want to get rid of him. And Jonathan Stewart's definitely gone, right? Oh, absolutely.
1: And again, you know something? I, I think people gave a lot of shit for that signing. as a terrible signing, terrible signing. His role on this team was never going to be that great to begin with. I think people – and even the amount of money they spent is not that big of a deal that to, to, to people are signing that as such a bad signing. You know, they took a shot. They know what his role was going to be. You know, he never got to really use that role in, in real short goal line situations, and he got hurt. So – took a flyer on it. didn't work. I'm not going to put that on my list of things. Of,
0: it's a bad signing. I, I don't care that much about it. It wasn't yeah, egregious yeah. where they can't even get out of it either.
1: Yeah. They're not going to put that on his tombstone saying, you know, here lies Gettleman, stupid signing of, of, of Stewart.
0: No. Yeah. The most notable free agent next year is Landon Collins. Um, and, you know, barring some of these moves, I'm not really sure how they're going to think about paying him, but... Just as an FYI for fans out there, a franchise tag is estimated for the safety position at $10.5 million. It's a lot of money.
1: Let me ask you a question. From what we've seen from him this year in a different role than he's had in the past, does he still have that value that he did you know, last year, two years ago?
0: I think he doesn't make the same splash plays that he did, but if you look at his stats, he's the leading tackler every week.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, that's um,
0: fine. I, I'm not James Betcher. Uh, you know, I I think the average fan is waiting for him to have an interception or just light somebody the hell up. Um,
1: I'm waiting for this whole defense to to have some interceptions. Yeah, some, some turnovers. That's yeah, been, it's been disappointing. The you know the lack of turnovers that we're uh, so far for the whole, entire season yeah you know underwhelming
0: so i mean that's something to look out for i mean not only his play for the rest of the year but whether they decide to you know work a new contract or given the the non-exclusive franchise tag or something um in my opinion landon collins is an impact player i think he's a good leader i think he's developing into a good leader um I think he's somebody that you probably want to keep around and I think you kind of try and avoid that giant number from the franchise tag because you know I don't keep him in the same category as some of these you know Eric Berry, Cam Chancellor, Devin McCourty guys, Harrison Smith. Right. Uh but he is very good.
1: That's why you don't franchise him
0: because it shouldn't be getting that. Well, much. it all depends on his camp and how you're able to work out a deal. But you know, most of the time, the franchise tag is put into place temporarily to continue working on that deal. Mm-hmm. You know, you definitely don't do what the Redskins did with uh, Cousins. <laughs>
1: no, not at all. You, you just spent a ton of money, never got the long-term commitment from him, and now you're out.
0: So, no.
1: let me ask you a question. Now, this might be a stupid question or something we can actually think about. We are now starting to dissect this team and, you know, how do we get out of this cap situation? How do we rebuild this? You know, how do we get younger so we have more rookie contracts and, you know, lesser expensive guys and stuff? Knowing that these decisions are going to have to be made, hard decisions, you know, replacing now two cornerbacks, replacing maybe your best pass rusher, possibly replacing another offensive lineman. And I'm not even talking about Solder. I'm talking about Omami at left guard. Knowing this in hindsight was the decision not to draft a quarterback that make you think we really should have drafted one last year because if that's, you know, if we have that first or second pick, it's a better than average chance that's where we're spending that pick on a quarterback when all of these other massive holes are opening up as well. Who cares? Just throwing it out.
0: I'm just saying, I I, I just, I don't like having that argument because it's done. It's... we can talk about what moves might happen next year and how they can move on from here, but this continuing debate that I see on Twitter of well, why we should have done this is what we sh- it's over. We can talk, fine. You want well, me to it. say you're right, you're right. I'm not, I'm not I'm talking not, to you. I'm just saying in general, these people that are like, well, we should have gotten Darnold, we should have gotten Rosen. Okay, fine. You're right. Too bad we can't do anything it. about it now.
1: I'm looking at it almost in a different way of kind of like as I'm evaluating Gettleman you know, decision-making that Gettleman has made. You know, did he really think this all the way through this, you know, A, riding with Eli, B, how this team needs to be rebuilt? Do I have contingency plans for this rebuild happening? Those are things I think you can, you can, you know, the results are obviously way too early with Gettleman, but things you can kind of second-guess what he's done, and I think that's a fair second-guess.
0: I don't know. I mean, it. You can't second guess it now because because are you really going to judge Darnold on his performance thus far?
1: Not talking about any quarterback in specific. But but you have
0: to. You can't say generally. It's got to be one of the ones. No, no, because
1: every quarterback is in a different situation with every different team. Okay,
0: Rosen's situation is similar to ours.
1: No, because no, no, because no, because new
0: coach. Bad of offensive guys, line.
1: None of these guys probably would have been starting over Eli at this point.
0: I don't They're, think they, they anticipated Rosen starting over Bradford. Bradford got hurt.
1: Right, but they—you think they anticipated uh, um, Darnold starting? Yes. Yes.
0: Yes. yes. But Rosen—Rosen but, I mean, w- Rosen was brought in to come along, maybe midway through the year. Which, let's face it, if they—if they drafted a quarterback in the top three. Unless the Giants are heading towards the playoffs, that's what you're looking at too here.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's safe to say, you know, everybody's using the well. Once they're eliminated, and that can happen as early as what, realistically, week ten. For,
0: well, we were we were eliminated how long ago? Oh, you mean mathematically?
1: Mathematically from the playoffs, yeah.
0: <sighs> yeah, week, week nine, week ten.
1: They're n- they're not going to do it until they're quote unquote mathematically out.
0: I guess so. so. Regardless, uh, you know, I. Uh, I don't know. It, to me, it's it's done. Um, I'm not sure what the justification for it was, but if it was, as he says, that Barkley was just a cleaner prospect, a sure bet, a guy you can't pass up on, then fine, because he's looked really good so far. Never, I mean, there's nothing I can do to change it now. There's nothing any yeah. of us can do, and it's, it's not a move that I would say is worth... It's not a singular move to fire a GM over, in my uh,
1: opinion. N- yeah, not talking fire.
0: I know, I'm, I'm just saying. Cool. But, I mean, if it's not if it's to not to evaluate, that, then it's... To
1: evaluate Gettleman. I, I mean, guess.
0: Evaluate. Oh, sure, if we want to evaluate. But you can't even evaluate a GM this far.
1: Yeah, and I preface that early on when I separated Gettleman and Schirmer. But it's mm-hmm. just something to, you know, as we we're starting to, like I said, pick this team apart in these contracts and, you know, how this rebuild is going to be more painful than I think than giant fans realize is going to be before we start making, you know, real inroads with this roster or is, this doesn't matter. It's just, we just have to suck it up and, you know, be pathetic for 2018, 2019, and then finally see the results. Does this coaching staff, does Gettleman Mara have to say to the fan base, look guys, you know, let's have realistic expectations for the next couple of years. Because I think this fan base, a lot of this fan base, a disappointing amount of this fan base, has very unrealistic expectations of what this team was coming into this season and maybe even next year. I think that has to be calibrated because, like I said, it's going to be worse next year.
0: I I don't think it does. You and I have different barometers for what the job of players, coaches, and GMs should do in the media. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying I think we could win with the roster that we had at the beginning of the year. Given the circumstances, I mean, they don't have to go out there and be like, listen, guys, we're tearing this shit down. You know why? Because nobody does that. That press conference has never happened.
1: Yeah, so I, think- I, don't, I don't
0: think they need to go out there and... Fuck the fans. You know, I I think if Gettleman is honest with with John Mara and he's honest with Pat Shermer and he's like, listen, this is going to take a couple years. I want you to do the best you can. Talk to me about what you need and we can work out a plan together. Mr. Mara, this is going to take a couple of years. Don't expect this to, to turn around in one year. The situation that you're in now cannot be turned around. As long as they're honest with each other, they're all on the same page, and they're making you know, a plan, that's all that needs to happen. I don't, I don't give a shit about press conferences. I don't care about Pat Shermer having an attitude with reporters. I don't care about most things. I mean, the biggest stock I have is players not doing the easy things and taking the bait to say something stupid. that I have a real problem with because all they have to do, and we we had a brief discussion about this, is if you say the cliches and answer the questions, it's good enough because all they're doing as reporters is throwing bait at you to get a scoop, to get a quote, to run an article. That's all they're doing. And you can't feed into that and and screw up the locker room and the coaching and all that shit. You need to just feed cliches. That's the only media thing I have.
1: I'm going to counter your point. As I think a lot of people who listen to this are New York Knicks fans, and I think for the last ten to fifteen years, they have been fed a line of bullshit by ownership they you know every gm that's come through every coach has come through that you know we still think we can win. they built these half ass rosters with the you know pipe dream half half attempt to make the playoffs, and it doesn't happen. Fan base is hates the owner has no you know hope going forward this current president gm and coach and i was at that fan uh fan fest before this season started they were pretty honest they were like you know something this is going to be rough this year we are committed to well then what more rebuilt. do you want well i think my point being is that you know as these losses are starting to pile up already you don't already see that aggravation and annoyance from the, the the fan base the media on their ass and it does mean something i get it doesn't bother you but i think you're in the minority of
0: sure maybe um, i am that doesn't mean i should be i i don't think i don't think these people owe the fans shit they they have their own job to do that's just my opinion
1: i think you're 100% wrong okay i think because again at the end of the day the fan base right or wrong rationally or irrationally Causes moves to happen that may or may not be in the best interest of this of any team You know coaches get fired Because of outraged fans and just you know the noise gets it happens in college It happens in the pros happens in every sport. I've seen Coaches that have gone to the one out of making it to the World Series be fired a week later because they're burning the guy in effigy in the town It means something and I think if you're honest All I'm saying is, being honest, you will lose.
0: I don't think they were dishonest.
1: I think now they need to be honest going forward. I think they really have to, you know, we're going to do the best we can. We're going to try to win games and everything, but this is a rebuild. Don't expect any quick fixes. I think that you can say both things. They're both true. It sets a realistic expectation. So you don't have people that, you know, are just – Running around with their heads cut off about this team right now, and it should have been—you should have been prepared for it.
0: I don't think telling the fans one way or another changes. Based on what I see from the Giants fan base, I don't think telling them that it's a rebuild makes them feel any better or worse.
1: Mm, Just my I, opinion. It could be, but I, I mean,
0: I, I, you and I are smart enough to. We are. We are smart enough to not only to recognize it, but to take a step back and be like, well, this is what it is this year. You know, this is all building towards something. I don't think that we are in the majority. I think that no matter what, every Sunday, there are a large amount of fans ready to complain about a guy being not not thrown to when he's one foot open. And that be, the, the his thing that he can't get to sleep at night for seven days until the next week when he finds the next thing. Win or lose. I don't think knowing that it's a rebuild changes his outlook. I think that he lives and dies by football.
1: But I was going to say for that fan, what do you think his September 1st prediction was for this team? And even as far as seven days ago, 14 days ago, still thought that this team could win a division. Those are the guys that have. They just have completely unrealistic expectations.
0: I think that's the majority of the fan base.
1: Yes, and I think why is that?
0: I don't think it's like I just said. I don't think it's they're fed bullshit. I think they are not capable or not willing to accept that.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a difference also between not being fed bullshit and being felt the truth.
0: To me, I don't care. I, you know, like. I don't need to hear it in explicit language every week after every loss press conference to just understand that they're turning the roster over. I mean, the actions speak louder than words. If the average fan can't fucking figure it out and just stop throwing a hissy fit every time Eli misses something or whatever, then that's his problem. And, you know, I don't think that Pat Shermer's job hinges on Joe Nonek from Long Island who fucking (laughs) knows very little about football or, you know, one of these dumbass, idiot Dallas fans that never heard of a snap infraction before just because it's never happened to the Dallas Cowboys. You know, I don't think he's losing his job over him. Yes, I agree with what you said, that there are bad decisions by coaches where the fan reaction gets them fired. I get it. I don't think the telling the fan base about a rebuild falls into that category.
1: Uh, let me ask you one kind of follow-up to what we we're just talking about before. Um, do you think Mara is all in with a complete rebuild, and you know, will be accepting of two to three years of Cleveland Brown-esque results while this rebuild is happening? No. That's and again, that has got nothing to do with our conversation about.
0: No, it doesn't. Oh, I think he... the
1: fans. I mean, behind the scenes, is he someone? It's like. You know, something, this is, we, this team is rotted to the core right now, and some of these drastic decisions we've been talking about, which will give us tons and tons of cap space, maybe not immediately, but in the next, you know, nearer term future, but the results could be devastating for a complete lack of competitiveness. Would he have that, I guess, patience to A, do it, B, ride these guys out for the shit they would take?
0: I I don't know about what he's going to do. My opinions on John Mayer are pretty simple. He's pretty much inherited two Super Bowl wins. Um, 2005, he assumed presidency. No, it's it's certainly possible that he had a more active role than what was publicly known before then. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't deny that that's a a very real possibility. But nevertheless, 2005. You had a good offensive line. I believe you already had Plaxico Burris on roster.
1: Yeah, but Mara really has nothing to do with, you know. No, no, no. no, no. I know I know. Yeah.
0: L- l- yeah. I just want to. a lot of blame gets thrown at Jerry Reese. But there was only one man responsible for Jerry Reese being around as long as he did. He only answered to one person. You're um
1: getting to you're getting to my my little thesis on is going to be, but keep going.
0: I think Mara thinks he's smarter than he is. I don't think he knows football as well as he does, and I think he was spoiled, you know, through no fault of his own, just maybe maybe jaded is a better term, uh, by being so successful and in inheriting a successful team very early on, and I think he bought a lot of bullshit from Jerry Reese. I thought he bought whatever he sold, hung on to him way too long, and we can blame Jerry Reese because certainly the actions are his, but... Like I said, Jerry Reese answered to one man and one man only. Um, and, you know, every time John Mara opens his mouth to the media, it's 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 a good thing he only talks to the media so few times because every time he comes out, he says something stupid. His defense of John, Josh Brown is probably the worst thing that he's done, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he has done very little to impress me. Uh you know, I mean, there there are worse owners out there for sure. I don't want to. There's a reason I don't I haven't talked about this. this. Is like not really a huge concern of mine, but I do think that he thinks he knows more than he really does.
1: There's been a little bit of an erraticness to him in the last couple of years. I think the whole way the the Eli benching thing went down last year, you know, just things that that something like that would never ever have happened. 5, 10, 20, 30 years ago with this team. You hear about the giant way and the giant standard and all this nonsense, you know, the loyalty they have. Well, sometimes that loyalty is not a good thing. And maybe they kept Reese around too long for loyalty. Maybe they kept Coughlin around too long for loyalty. Maybe this we're riding with Eli thing is something about loyalty lasting too long. So I think kind of riding that and also some of the decision-making that he has made, because if, you know, again, too early to tell, but the returns aren't very great so far for our head coach. That means we've potentially have whiffed twice in a row in head coaches. Too early to tell. I don't want you, nobody jumping down my throat yet, but you know, you're right. When do you start having a scorecard on the owner?
0: Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't have a high opinion of John Mara, personally speaking.
1: And you have your owner. He's not going away. Yeah, no. Owners, yeah. Unless there's
0: I mean, I don't have a low opinion of him either. Like I said, he he might think he knows more than he does, but at least he's not Jerry Jones who thinks he knows more than he does and you know, he's got his hands in every move that's made. He's got a coach who's a shithead because he yeah. at least will do what he says.
1: Or have or him or 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 Al Davis who their sons are now transitioning to, you know, leadership roles and they are unimpressive as well.
0: Yeah. I don't want my my opinion of him to say that he's the one of the worst owners in the league. I don't I don't will think that, but I don't think he's the shining bastion. You know, it's I don't know. He's, you you he's get in my li- point.
1: He's gonna live on Wellington Mayor's name for a long time.
0: He's gonna have to actually earn, you know, accolades because since he took over, this team was competitive for maybe four of those years. Five, maybe.
1: Yeah. And I guess as an owner, you're right. You're really limited to when do you pull the plug on GMs, head coaches. Other than that, you know, they're more involved in the business side of it. Of course. Yeah. And you could say, you know, he did get the stadium built, which yeah. is, is pretty important. Oh, I mean,
0: come on. And around the league, he's he's part of, you know, the competition committee or whatever. Right. Um he's he's a respected owner around the league. I don't think he's the worst guy ever. I he's like just middle of the pack for me. I I wish he wouldn't talk to the media at all because I don't think he's very good at it.
1: There's a lot of owners that you never hear of You don't know what their voices sound like.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's going to conclude this rambling podcast. <laughs> um maybe we should have saved some of that for the bye week, but it's okay. Uh I think I think this is the time. I think this is where we really know for sure that this season is over, um, and that we are turning the roster over. So
1: we needed to vent with you guys. You know, a lot of this we kind of we re, not that we rehearsed. We had discussed earlier. Some of this stuff is kind of spontaneous. But you know, we're all in this together. You know, we Grump and I, and you people that listen, you are not the, the lunatic fringe who gets on these chat rooms and you know say ridiculous things. We're all in this for a long term you know follow of this team and hoping for the best so you know, some of the things we said might have made a lot of sense some of it make no sense so we we want to hear what you guys think about this or are we crazy are we you know are you on the same page as you know let us know send us a, a tweet or, or something and, and, and let us know
0: yeah um, and our Twitter I, I'm at football underscore grump I would be happy to talk to you um, I interact with people on a daily basis on all sorts of issues. Um, yeah, if you, if you think we're nuts, by all means, just, just tell us and we can get into it a little bit more specifically. It's, it's weird when it's just me and, you know, cranky fan going back and forth cause we don't hear your input, but yeah, you know, yeah, we can, we can explain things further, you know, our positions and you can tell us we're wrong and prove why we're wrong. And maybe something we haven't thought of yet. So by all means, reach out to us. I'm at football underscore grump, or if you want to be just general to the both of us, you can hit at just giants pod or you know, at both of us
1: and you can always catch me at the cranky fan where i actually have happy things to also talk about as my top 10 florida gators play georgia this week in the world's largest cocktail party uh no rest for the wicked i'll be down there this weekend and vibing in all the uh cocktails and tailgating i can possibly handle but we'll be back in giant stadium by one o'clock for the washington game so
0: why i don't know
1: (laughs) I gotta screw loose grump
0: but yeah please be sure to if you guys are still watching this, these games then you should at least still be listening to this podcast because I might be biased but I think it's the best one the best damn podcast
1: for this damn team yeah
0: Um, but yeah iTunes, SoundCloud uh, follow us there tell, tell any of your other Giants friends that are down in the dumps um,
1: Misery Loves Company
0: yeah uh, and give us a five-star rating.
1: And also, if there's another platform you'd like to see us on, uh, you know, if you are not an iTunes or SoundCloud subscriber and you want to see us on Stitcher or YouTube or something, let us know. We- we'll make that happen.
0: So. Yeah, not a problem. We got tons of time on our hands. <laughs> yeah. Too much time. Yeah. All right, everyone. Go Giants.
1: Yeah.